morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, <clears throat> you're about to hear somebody that uh, is going to be just as uh, crazier than that. So I'm um, just trying to prepare you for that. Um, I want to say a welcome to our uh, red carpet days visitors. Let's give them a round of applause. Yeah. Our speaker today, uh, Professor Matthew Henry, is an ENC grad and a former high school teacher. He currently teaches in the greatest department on campus, the Department of Education. He is a husband, a published poet, and a preacher who tries his best to love God and all his people, especially those here on campus. And the uh, rumor on the street it says that he is also the president of the Taylor Swift fan club. So you'll want to give him a big round of applause. Uh, here is Dr. Or Professor Matthew Henry. Actually, there's a video clip that's supposed to show, right? But you know, we'll do that now. Yeah, there we go. So when I'm lying in my bed And the furniture starts creeping I'll just laugh and say, hey, cut that out And get back to my sleeping Cause I know that God's biggest And he's watching all the while So when I get scared, I'll think of him And close my eyes and smile you when you saw me on TV. Well, that's okay, because now I know that God is taking care of me. God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than Godzilla or monsters on TV. Oh, God is bigger than the boogeyman, and he's watching out for you and me. One more time. God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than As appropriately dressed as I am, um, it's Red Sox, Boston wearing day. There it is. I should probably first say that I'm uh, amazed that a lot of you started joining in and singing and happy at the same time. Um, I am not the lead member of the Taylor Swift fan club. 
However, comma, I really wish I was sometimes because that level of angst is just it's so beautiful. I, I, I love it. Um, I should probably start by mentioning uh, one important thing for those who have not met me. Um, I'm ADHD as all get out, so I'll probably move around a lot. Some people were expecting me to speak from the back. No, not going to do that. Um, other thing that I should mention is that I'm loud, so I might move this a little bit. Um, I have an odd rule, an odd commitment, covenant that I've made, that whenever someone asks me to speak for a community that I love, I say yes immediately. Um, so, for example, today I'm supposed to be at a seminary class turning in a paper, um, and Corey asked, hey, would you be willing to speak? And I said, yes! Um, so I shot off an email to my professor, you know, I, I can't be there, I have to preach. And I'm in seminary, so like, what's a religion professor going to do? Be like, no! <laughs> you must turn in your paper in hand, don't speak about Jesus. Um, but like a good student, I emailed it last night, so yeah. Um, and the irony is that my school is Andover Newton, and it's currently shut down. Um, so when Corey asked, I said, definitely. I, I find it an honor and a privilege to share God's word. But he asked me specifically, could I be encouraging and uplifting and inspirational in this message, given everything that's happened this week? And we were talking on the phone, and I was like, so you want me to preach completely outside of my wheelhouse? Like, have, have you met me? Um, and... We laughed at that, but we were both aware that I was sort of serious. For those who have gone to the Bible studies that I've led or heard me speak in the past, um, I believe in challenging people. I don't like simple cookie-cutter Christianity. Um, simple spirituality annoys me. I believe in asking tough questions of the Bible, asking tough questions of each other, asking tough questions of God. And there are times where being angry is the appropriate thing, but it's in your anger, sin not. I believe that there's a thing called biblical lament. So screaming out and crying to God matters, and it's something that we're supposed to do. That just saying, everything's going to be all right, doesn't work for me. People who go off of their my pastor version of the Bible or my grandmama version of the Bible, I know it's in there somewhere. <laughs> Where is it? I have no idea. I, I, I don't have a lot of tolerance for that. So when he asked me to be encouraging, uplifting, and inspirational, I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll a friend of mine talks about us being creatures of crisis. Some of you have heard me say this before. Either you have just come out of crisis, you are in crisis right now, or the phone is about to ring. And let's be honest, the phone has been ringing loudly this week. Monday. The things that happened in Texas. And let's not forget we're probably about to go to war with North Korea. We've had people dying in Iraq and Afghanistan and Israel and Baltimore and Fall River and San Diego. This world is not happy roses lucky yay right now. So part of me has a hard time with encouraging, uplifting, and inspirational. I was reading a news article that said that this week is like the deadliest, most ridiculous week in history for the United States. Not just this week, this week historically. Some of the older people in the room, Waco, Texas was this week. Columbine was this week. Oklahoma City bombings was this week. I'm missing one of oh, Virginia Tech was this week. Encouraging, inspirational, uplifting on a week like this, on a day like today. I add to that the fact that I've been in a class studying the book of Job. <laughs> I have 50 plus papers, 50 plus pages, double spaced, due on Monday on the book of Job. Um, 
I currently have in my office like about 10 commentaries, translations on the book of Job. I've been living the book of Job, imbibing the book of Job, going through the book of Job. Anyone who's had a conversation with me this semester knows at some point I've alluded to something in the book of Job, and you're like, well, that had nothing to do with what we were eating for lunch, but okay, you threw Job in there somehow. <laughs> is this raven? Like, I, just somewhere in there, Job is going to come up. Um, so I've been thinking about Job and suffering. So let's start there. Our inspirational, encouraging, inspiring message will begin in Job. Strap in. Um, I think we know the story of Job relatively well. Great guy, wonderful guy, everything in the world he has at his fingertips, and then crisis hits. The phone rings. He's got four messengers who come running in out of breath. His family is destroyed, his cattle destroyed, his land is destroyed. Like everything in Job's life is falling apart. And then for the next 30-some-odd chapters that no one gets around to reading because you're happy with the beginning and the end, his three, four friends talk, and they argue, and they bicker, trying to answer primarily the three questions that we all ask. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? And why me? And they go back and forth and back and forth and trying to figure this out. And then finally, God emerges in a storm cloud. And I got to be honest, it gets really trippy for me at that point when God shows up. And I've read that text many, 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 many times and trying to understand God from when he shows up in the storm cloud. And I I think I can say this. I, I thought God was mostly a jerk when I've read that in the past. Yeah, some of you were like, and then you, I, mean, look, I said that, some of you immediately nodded and then did the, the good Christian thing. <laughs> he said it, but can I, is it okay if I agree? So you read through the text and you're like, wow, God is sarcastic at times in that. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Were you there when the morning stars were singing together? Can you measure the Earth's orbit? And what, what, how about we pull a Bruce Almighty? How about I give you charge of everything? You were talking in chapter 29 about how you did all these wonderful, great things, and you took care of everybody, Job. Can you take care of things? How about I put it in your hands? Let's see how that works out. Now, I like tough love. Friends of mine know that they can smack me up the head, upside the head, and that'll, that'll help me out. One of my favorite verses um, is where David says, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. So I, I'm there. But it feels like Job just doesn't deserve everything that's coming his way. And so while I was reading this and rereading and rereading the divine speeches, trying to make sense of it, trying to understand God, or at least understand God enough that I don't fail my paper and sound like a heretic, um, I noticed something new. Amazing how you, you, you learn new things when you read your Bible. It's crazy. Um, something new occurred to me that I hadn't noticed before. In Job chapter 38, that was my fault. I didn't do, yeah, that's me. Um, I'm going to read this. It's out of a different translation. It's up there, Raymond Chinlin. God speaking to Job says, Who cracked open a channel for the torrent, clove the path for the thunder shower? To reign on land where no man lives, on wildernesses uninhabited, to feed a wasteland, fill a desolation, make it flower, sprout grass. 
God makes it rain. You heard that in chapel. God makes it rain on a land where there is no man. God makes it rain on a place where it's desert to fill it with grass and flowers and shrubs. And that was rattling around in my brain. I was like, that's interesting. I've never noticed that before. A little bit later on, God said, the second thing I noticed, chapter 38, God spends a lot of time talking about animals, and I like animals. Animals are great. But in the midst of talking about animals, he says to Job, can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lion when they crouch in their den or lie in wait in their covert? Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God and wander about for lack of food? Chapter 39, God continues, Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the deer? Can you number the months that they fulfill? And do you know the time when they give birth, when they crouch to give birth to their offspring and are delivered of their young? Their young ones become strong. They grow up in the open. They go forth and they do not return to them. And then later on in chapter 40, I'm sorry, later in 39, is it by your wisdom that the hawk soars and it spreads its wings towards the south? Is it at your command that the eagles mount up and makes its nest on high? It lives on the rock and it makes its home in the fastness of the rocky crag. From there it spies a prey. It sees with its eyes from far away. Its young ones suck up blood. What in the world did those things come into your head? God seems to really care about animals. All over the divine speeches, God talks about animals. And then there's a specific focus to baby animals. Let's, it's like God watches those YouTube clips of kittens and hedgehogs that are just really cute for no apparent reason. Um, that God talks about, like, I am the midwife to mountain goats. <laughs> God's like, do you pay attention when the, the deer grows up and it leaves? Who, who knows? It never returns home. Its mommy never sees it, but guess what? My eye is on that thing. It's still a part of my creation. I pay attention to it. But God has this focus on the land and on animals. And then suddenly, as I'm sitting there trying to write this paper and understand God, something clicked in my head that I hadn't noticed before. A New Testament passage suddenly came into my mind. Some of you are friends of mine on Facebook, and so you saw my Facebook status on this. It was on Tuesday. Uh, and I believe in coincidences, but I don't trust them because I believe in God. Um, this clicked for me, and about an hour or two hours later is when Corey asked if I would speak. What I had on my status was, and I'll read it, and suddenly Matthew chapter 6, especially 25 through 34, reads like a kinder, gentler version of the divine speeches in Job. So let's turn there. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, should be familiar to a lot of you. Remember our focus from before. I'm a teacher. I can't help myself. Land, animals, especially birds. Now we're in Matthew chapter 6. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you should eat, or what you should drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither toil nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And how many of you can add 
by worrying can add one single hour to your span of life. And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and thrown into the fire of the oven tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? If God is caring about the land, if God is caring about the, the birds, doesn't he care about you, O ye of little faith? It, as we argue about how Job should be interpreted, what we do with the divine speeches, why good things happen to bad people, bad things happen to good people, and why me? While we try to figure out, is, is, was God too harsh on Job and all the calamities that fall, we try to understand all of these texts for me, the thing that suddenly came out was that the God of the storm and Jesus of the Gospels were saying the same thing. If I take care of the land and take care of the animals, do you have faith in that? Do you not have faith that I got your back? Do you not believe that I care for you, O ye of little faith? I was talking to Brent Neely right there, wise man with mohawk. Um, He's wise and has a mohawk, or both together. The, the thing that we were talking about, completely separate from this, was, O ye of little faith. And he gave me a, a new perspective of thinking of that passage that I hadn't thought about before. As I've said to my ed majors, if you aren't learning something new from your students, get out of the profession. Like, we should always be learning. And what he pointed out to me was, I had always thought about that passage, O ye of little faith, from the negative. Focusing on, why don't you have faith? I mean, that's generally how we look at the passage, right? Like, some of you looking at me right now, like, well, how else would you read it? O ye of little faith, there's a lack of faith. You used to teach English, right? This shouldn't be hard. <laughs> Reading comprehension. Um, what Brent point, pointed out to me was the reverse. Not focusing on the lack of faith, focusing on the amount of faith that you have. You have a little faith. Mustard seed faith is a little faith. And mustard seed faith can move mountains. So if you have a little faith, that's enough faith! You have faith that the sun is going to rise in the morning, that God has a hand in that, then you've got enough faith to survive. You've got enough faith to believe that God will make it rain on a desert land where there are no people and make grass and lilies of the valley. You've got enough faith. If God is going to take care of the sparrows, and God is going to take care of the mountain goats, and God is going to take care of the deers, and the ravens, and the eagles, and the oxes, and the lions, the tigers, and the bears, oh my, God can take care of you. God can take care of you. So if you believe that God takes care of all of those things in creation, do you also believe that God is bigger than the boogeyman? Is he bigger than Godzilla and the monsters we've been seeing on TV all week? Or do you not have that much faith? The question then becomes, if, conditional statement, if you believe that God is bigger than the boogeyman, if you believe that God does and can have your back, regardless of all the craziness that's going out there, the question becomes, what is your boogeyman? This time of the year, regardless of the fact that there's so much craziness in the media right now, there's a, I'll say this carefully, I wrote it down in my notes, very, 
I think most people's boogeymen fall on a list of a bunch of F words. Now, I read that carefully because I think there's a list of words that begin with the letter F that our boogeymen fall into. Finals. That was like the closest thing to an amen. You guys think you get it with a group of Nazarenes. That was interesting. Like, there, there was like a bunch of... I was raised Plymouth Brethren, so if anyone like even raises their hand at any point, we assume that they're possessed. So, you know, I, I understand. Um, finals. Finals is a stressful time. Whether you are an undergraduate, you are a graduate, you are in high school right now, you're in middle school right now. If you're a professor, if you don't think finals are stressful for us... And some of us are doing both of those things at the same time. Finals is a rough time. Did I study enough? Do I know what I'm doing? Do I, can I cram? Should I stop watching this show and actually start studying? You know, the, the simple things. Yes. Then, sorry, the answer to that question is yes. You should. Unless it was senior year when I was here, and that, no, then we just didn't. But anyway, um, you can only study so much. The, the future. Some of you are graduating. See, that, was, see now that, that proved my point right there, right? I just said, some of you are graduating. And the response should be, if you're not afraid of it, is, Woo! Toe touch. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, that was, that was unwise, really. That's, I'm a, not as young as I once was. Um, so let's try that again. Um, you're graduating. There it is. And those are people who are like, they're leaving, yay! Um, <laughs> but the future is a scary thing. Right? I've talked to a bunch of you who are graduating. Some of you who are thinking about or getting married. Some of you are, you know, what's the next job? Or grad school. And it's I, I, I think I'll, I'll fail my classes on purpose and stay here. Like this is, this is, this is, a, for the, for, this is a warm and inviting, wonderful place. They will fail to stay here. Um, the future is scary, and the future is unknown. Failure. In the edu education department, we talk about failure avoidance. Sometimes people don't do things because they're terrified. Absolutely terrified of failing. Family. One of the things I used to talk to my high school students about very plainly was the fact that holidays for some of them are a terrible, 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 horrible time. Because it means you need to spend more time back at home. College students, you know that better probably than when you were in high school. Because some of you don't want to be going back home to your families. Some folks stay on campus to work, or they do summer men, or they work at a camp, or they do anything else possible other than being around their family. Because family is not always a safe, wonderful place. Friendships, or I should say, friendships and friendships. Because sometimes your friends, your real friends, you know, I'm wearing a microphone. Uh, your real friends, the people who are, that was the beat of your, my heart, that's what it was. Um, people who have your back, you've got their back, are making stupid life decisions, putting it mildly. I almost got some amens from some people as well on that one. They were like, mm, and trying not to look over at them. <laughs> They're making terrible life decisions. And you're involved in that. You're invested in that. You're, you're, you love them. And you're like, what, what do I do to help them? And at the same time, there are people who aren't friends. They're friends. And you realize you need to cut ties. 
You need to get out. Run away. It's a horror movie, really. And, no, it, it's a horror movie. The opening credits are running, and you're the black guy. You need to get out of the house <laughs> because you're going to be killed. Like, that's really what it is. Like, where's the game? You all laugh because you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like, get out now. And that's the relationship that you're in with your friend. And I could also do friend as in a romantic relationship that you need to get out of. Got real quiet just then, though, huh? Mm. That maybe that's not what God wants you to be. And that's the boogeyman. You're afraid of ending that. And it's sort of a catch-all. It's like just freaking out in general. And some of you live there. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Just life in general is the boogeyman. Whether it's depression or anxiety disorders or mood disorders or, or um, eating disorders or whatever, just life itself is a weight that is crushing down on you. And so existence is the boogeyman. Don't get me wrong. All of these things are valid. Every single one of these things are legitimate, real things to be afraid of and to worry about. But again, do we have mustard seed faith? Do we believe that God is bigger than those things? Pain is pain. Pain is real. There are times where we need to cry, to scream, to call out to God, to question God, to lament corporately by ourselves. But yet and still, at the end of the day, do you believe that God is bigger than those things? Or is it, eh, I believe it up here, but here. We sing the song, our God is greater, our God is stronger, our God is higher than any other. If God is healer, is awesome in power, our God, our God, are those things true? Or it's just a nice song you like to sing in chapel because I need to get credit. Do we believe these things? Do we embrace these things? Or are they just stuff that we say? Do we have that level of faith that God is bigger than the boogeyman? Because seriously, do you not know? Isaiah passage, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow tired or weary. And his understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men and women will stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Now, Here's the thing about that passage, which I memorized as a child, sang songs about it, and I was like, oh, I like this. This is great. And heard many sermons about it. But we've reached our encouraging, inspirational portion. But encouragement and inspiration without some sort of expectation is meaningless. Encouragement and inspiration without some sort of expectation is meaningless. That passage in Isaiah, no, is it still up there? It's still up there. Notice the words. At the end, it assumes you're doing something. I'm going to fly, run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. It assumes that you're doing something. I'm not going to break the microphone, but no one is just, I'm sitting on the ground for those who can't see me. And all of a sudden, God picks you up and makes you fly. It assumes on the front end that you are attempting to fly. It assumes that you are already walking. It assumes that you are trying to run. And God will strengthen those things. God will empower us to mount on wings like eagles. But it assumes that you're trying. 
Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Yes, it assumes you're reading and walking on that path. You got the beautiful tennis shoes. They're all white with the Velcro. Some people got that reference. God won't let you drown, but that assumes you're swimming. And as I'm very, very, very happy that Finding Nemo 2 is coming out, the, the line of Finding Nemo 1, hopefully you know where I'm going with this, keep doing what? Swimming. Let, let's hear it from right here. Swimming. Keep swimming. Keep swimming. God is bigger than the boogeyman. It's bigger than Godzilla or the monsters on TV. God is bigger than the boogeyman, and he's watching over you and me. In this time, on this day, when this city is in utter turmoil, when our lives are not the easiest right now, when we're unsure of where God is leading in the future, we're unsure what will happen with our friendships and our family and just everything, do you hold on to that little faith? Do you believe that God is bigger than the boogeyman and these monsters on TV? Do you believe that God, who takes care of the cosmos, the grass, and the birds, watches over you? Do you hold on to that? Please stand. We're going to be getting out a little bit early. I just want us to pray together. Heavenly Father, we know you love us. We know that you care. We know that this universe is held together by your hands, by your love, by your mercy. But we also know that we suffer. We know that we have fear. We know that we are uncertain sometimes what the future may hold. But Lord, allow us to take the little faith that we have, for it is enough. Take that little faith and put our trust in you to know, to believe, to live in the love you have for us. Help us now, Lord, to go out into the world and to love each other here on this community and beyond the walls of this community, Lord. Show us what it is that you will have us to do to comfort others, to care for others, to show them your love as you has loved us. We ask all these things in your mercy and in your grace. Amen. You are dismissed.